Welcome to How to Decorate from Ballard Designs, a podcast all about the trials and triumphs of decorating and redecorating your home. Each week, we'll help you unleash your inner decorator. I'm Caroline, and I'm on the marketing team. And I'm Taryn, and I'm a product designer. And I'm Liz. I head up the Ballard creative team. We're your host. Join the expert team at Ballard Designs for tips, tricks, and tales from interior designers, stylists, and other talents in the design world. Plus, we'll answer a listener question at the end of each show. So don't forget to send them to podcast at ballarddesigns.net. Yes, we love answering them. Now, on with the show. Today's guest is Alex Papakostidis. He is a celebrated interior designer known for elegant and timeless spaces he designs for his clients. He founded his Manhattan-based interior design firm in 1987 and has projects located in Manhattan, Los Angeles, Florida, Texas, Colorado, London, Saudi Arabia, all over the world. He's on Architectural Digest's AD100 list. His work has been featured in Veranda, El Decor, House Beautiful, and more. And he just released his second book with Rizzoli, The Elegant Life, Rooms That Welcome and Inspire. Alex, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you, ladies. So happy to be here. Well, we loved getting a peek into your book. And one of my first, like, kind of gasp moments was, <laughs> you know, the cover is sort of this wood paneled dining room, gilt chairs, you know, crystal chandelier. So definitely elegant, mm-hmm. a little bit on more traditional, you know, it's a dining room. But then the first home is very colorful, some mid-century modern silhouettes in there, a little bit more casual. So I was like, oh, oh, okay. Like we're this, we're, we're going to get a range here, a big range. And that really every single project was vastly different than the one before it. And so I just loved getting to kind of take a journey from house to house, they were all so unique. So I'm, I was curious just kind of how you narrowed down all of your projects for this book in particular, and what you were kind of thinking about, especially as even you were paginating the projects in the in the book. Well, you know, I think that's one of the nice things about the book. I think that it shows the variety of what I do. And I think it also shows that Me personally, I don't have a specific look that I sell to clients. I create interiors that are reflective of who they are and how they want to live and what's relevant for them and their families. You know, when I meet a client, they come here and we have long conversations and we sort of get to know each other and understand what is their home to them. Do they entertain? Do they have pets? I encourage people also to live in their houses, to use their rooms, to have family dinners in their dining room. So if you do have young children, make your dining room practical that your children can sit and have dinner in your dining room. You know, I always say it's called a living room because it's meant to be lived in. I love, you know, to have comfortable upholstery. I I love a games table in a living room because I think it draws you into the room. You can play games with your children. You can do a project. You can have dinner with another couple, you know, you and your husband, or have dinner with another couple. Or you can just have a cup of coffee in the morning and read the paper sitting at a games table. You know, particularly I find, and I think we learned during COVID, that lives, houses have lives and they need to be flexible and they need to work. And there should be no room that you don't use. Every room should have a purpose and a use and should have the ability to be used in different ways. So I like my houses to be lived in. There's nothing sadder than seeing a house that doesn't feel like people enjoy it. 
So I encourage that in my clients. And then also, you know, it's very important to me that houses are relevant and reflective of the people who live in them and that you feel comfortable in your house. I'll often take my, my clients to the D&D building and we look at fabrics and we, you know, go to antique shops together. I love that. I love, it's a great way for me to get to know them, to learn about what they like and don't like, expose them to things that they may have never seen and they fall in love with. It's just, it's, it's, it's a really fun process. And I think it's fun for the clients too. And they then feel ownership of their interiors and they feel very much a part of it. So I like that. I, I, I'm not going to be living in the house explaining them everything, you know, explaining them how this was and how that was. So it's wonderful if they're involved and they get it and they remember, oh, my God, we bought that on a trip to Hudson, New York. And, you know, that comes from Paris. And, you know, I remember that fabric. It's from Counting and Tout. And so it's nice. They can explain, you know, people ask questions. And I love that my clients have been involved in the process and know about where they live. Well, it helps create that narrative that it helps them to feel, again, so connected to the home as well. And where you found it versus you just being like, oh, here's this object I found I'm putting in your home. And, and I think people truly enjoy the process. You know, look, we have clients who are too busy and, and they don't want to do that. But then they'll come here for meetings and we'll show them this and we'll talk about it and we'll explain why. And people say to me, oh, you've never done that before? I said, no, that's why I like it. And they'll be like, really? I'm like, yes, really. I love to do things that are new and different. I love to do things that are specific to that project. And you also say you love to shop. So I'm oh sure God. you don't mind oh at all. Shop? I'm a shopaholic. I love to <laughs> shop. I mean, I mean, it's one of the reasons why I do what I do, because I could just shop and shop and shop and shop for days. <laughs> But, you know, they don't make it as easy as it was. It used to be living in New York that you had all these incredible antique stores and used to travel and go to all these wonderful cities. And there were antique malls and shops and there were, you know, entire blocks where there were antique stores and vintage stores. You know, that's going away. So mm -hmm. it's kind of sad. You know, we do a lot of a lot of online shopping at auction. It doesn't give you the same thrill as in person. Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's, and, and, and as I say to people doing it on their own, be very mm -hmm. careful because it's very hard to get scale from a picture. Even mm -hmm. for me, I've had scale issues from pictures. So what I'll do is I'll ask for a photograph. I'll look at the measurements. I'll ask for an in-person photograph of the item because sometimes online, it looks very different the way they light it than it truly looks in reality. So I'll ask for a real photograph. I'll often ask if it's a chair or a piece of furniture. I'll ask for a human being to be standing next to it and get a sense of scale of the furniture. And the other thing I'll do is, let's say it's a chair, I'll say, can you please give me the measurements? And then I'll use something in the office to measure off of it. So to sort of get the proportion of it. Because really one of the most important things in decorating is scale and proportion. It's really crucial to good interiors. And it's often the difference between having a professional do it and having someone who is, 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 is not so experienced in it. 
And it's not that you can't play with it. You can, but you really need to know what you're doing if you're going to play with scale and proportion. Because furniture should be comfortable and rooms have to be very usable in terms of the way you get around them and negotiate them. And it's very important, the layout of a room. Where do you, do you start with a layout? Where do you start when you're working with a client, a, a new client? Well, you know, I think we, we start with the, we start with the backdrop. We start with the interiors. We start with the architecture. I am a big soft goods person. So I like to have the fabrics and the carpets and the upholstery and the curtains first. And then I go into the decoration, the, the antiques and the, but, you know, we'll have an overall concept in the beginning. It's important to have continuity, I believe. And so if the style of the house is a certain way and the client either has traditional or contemporary taste or they want to mix, then that's sort of how you, you, you get into where you're going. But it also evolves as it's happening. You know, it's a little bit of a, of a process. And, and I think, I always ask my clients to give me pictures of their favorite things they've ever seen and sort of, you know, to give me, and I said, you know, it doesn't need to be that you like everything in this picture, but give me a picture that sort of evokes the mood of the way you want to live. And so that's their homework. And they then show me that. And I can sort of understand that we have a conversation about it so I can read it and get to know what they like. And colors, you know, colors are very important. What colors do the clients look good in? What suits them? What are their favorite colors? What's practical in terms of their lifestyle? You know, do you like print? Do you like solids? You know, I'm a print person in my own house. I have a lot of prints, but I have clients, and I also love color. I have clients who like no color and have, you know, every home is white and gray, and that's what they like. And, you know, that can be beautiful, too. So there's no wrong answer. It's it's very personal and it's how you want to live. Well, in your book, you even have a whole um, section for that one home that, is it your sister's home? That yes. she only wanted plaster, white, gold, and, and silver. And right. silver. And you did it. I mean, unbelievable. <laughs> well, it's, it's fun. But I, I, you know, I also, that's also why I do what I do. I love the idea of a challenge and I love jumping into somebody else's shoes and creating something that's, you know, dynamic and stylish and and their interpretation, but created in a way that they wouldn't have been able to do without me and that, that I can make that happen and make their dreams into a reality, which, you know, that's the nicest thing in the world. I mean, there's nothing better than getting that call from your clients or going over to see them and they say to you, do you know how much I enjoy living in my house? Do you know how I love my rooms? Do you know how, how good I feel being here? And, and you know, that's, that gives me so much joy and it just makes me so happy that they're happy. And you know, the world's hectic and crazy and that people can come home to a place where they feel happy and comfortable and, and, and thought of. And I think that's what good interiors do. They're relevant and comfortable and collected and personal. And I also encourage my clients to collect things, but things that they love and things that are relevant to them. You know, very often I'll, I'll, I'll fill libraries with books and, you know, we'll talk to the clients about what they want. And, you know, I'll get to know 
What do they like? Do they like to garden? Do they like flowers? Do they like architecture? Are their husbands interested in cars and sports? And what what interests people? And I like that the, the rooms feel like the people who live in them. I had a question about color because there were a few homes that were fairly neutral or all neutral, but then there were also some that had a ton of color. And I suspect that a lot of people, especially, you know, people doing their own homes are afraid of color because they're afraid they're going to get tired of it. Or, you know, and I, I also think color has a certain, sometimes like an age or like a year or something like it, ha- it has a time where you're like, oh, I think of this color and I think of this timeline. So they're afraid to use it because they feel like it'll date their home. What, how do you, how do you pick colors that you think are going to be timeless and that your clients are going to love for a long time? Well, you know, I'm a big fan of, of, of colors from nature because I don't think that, you know, I, I never get sick of blue and green. I mean, I just don't because I mean, that's the sky and the grass and the forest and the water. I mean, so, you know, how can you ever get sick of those colors? So, I mean, I think that also, like, what do you wear? What are the colors that you wear and feel good in? What are what are your favorite colors? Everybody has favorite colors. I'm, you know, people say, oh, you know, what color are you using more now than others? I, I don't feel that I am feeling, you know, I use the colors that feel right for the house, right for the location, because, again... I don't think you want a house in Florida that's all in dark, heavy colors. I don't think you want a mountain house that's in bright colors. I think that there are, there are colors that feel better in different locations, in different parts of the country. I also encourage clients, I always say to them, you know, don't have every, like if you have a house in the Hamptons and an apartment in the city, use different colors. Don't do everything in the same color. And sometimes, you know, be a little bit daring, but be true to who you are. Don't force yourself. If you don't like color, then don't use it. If you don't ever wear color and you're not comfortable with color, then you shouldn't have color. You know, it don't feel like because everybody else is using color now, I have to use color. Everybody else has white interiors. I have to have white interiors. I've never had white interiors. I've never wanted white interiors. It's not something, you know, so I have a dog. I I like to be able to, you know, I I like to not to worry. I don't want a house that I have to be concerned about. Oh my God, is somebody wearing black shoes and they're going to rub up against my sofa skirt and turn it, you know, their shoe polish is going to come off. Is somebody's dog going to sit on my chair and it's going to get dirty? I I don't want to think that way. So, you know, I tend to use color and print and and look, even color and print eventually it can wear out and get, get stained and, you know, you, you replace it, but it should last, good decorating should last a long time. And do I think that we tire of colors? I think every 10 years or so, your perception of color changes a little bit. I think we went through a long phase of no color And I think we're coming back to a phase of sort of strong color. And I think that red has been out of fashion for quite a while. And I think people are starting to love red again. So, you know, there are times and there are things. I've had raspberry in my house. I did my apartment. My partner and I live in an apartment on the Upper East Side. 
I used every color of the rainbow in our apartment and I'm still loving it. And when something gets ruined, I replace it with the same fabric if it hasn't been discontinued. But that happens too. You know, sadly, things get ruined and, and fabrics are discontinued. So you have to look at it a new way. You do have a gorgeous home in the Upper East Side too. Or the Yes, there's the Homeworthy mm-hmm. tour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fun. Oh. It's colorful. It's colorful and fun. And layered. layered. Yeah, oh. very layered. Your well, you tinted know, entry, oh, I was be, dead. It was always been a dream of mine. You know, that, that always I'd wanted a tinted entrance hall. And when we moved in, it was just something I really wanted. And I did it and I love it. And it's in a strong <laughs> stripe. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But I never tired. Never tired. <laughs> See? Well, okay. Um, on this topic of color, um, when you are decorating a whole house do you feel as though there needs to be like one color palette for the whole house is there a color palette for each room like how does one develop you know incorporate color but not necessarily the same one throughout the whole house but well i like to have a common thread so i like to take a color and bring it everywhere but then add it and mix it and use it in different ways so let's say there's a little bit of raspberry in every room and it can be used in a, in a new way each time in one room it can be with blue in one room it can be blue and green and you could also take the colors in and out they don't all have to be in every room but but it's nice to sort of have a common thread and then the other thing is if you're not using one color as the common thread to pull it all together, then it's nice to have, you need to have continuity. It's important that there's continuity. So if it's not the same color, it's good if it's the same color value. So if you're using strong colors, use those strong colors in every room so that, you know, it's important that it doesn't feel light and heavy. And, you know, you never want your, you never want your home to feel like a show house. You never want to go from room to room and be like jarred. You want there to be a flow and a connection from room to room and a level of detail that feels the same. You know, a sort of strength, a pattern of of, of use of color that keeps it balanced. You know, our apartment's not very big in Manhattan. And one of the things that I did was there are colors that are quite strong from room to room. But what I did is then in each hallway, so the kitchen is all strapped and antique mirrored, the entire kitchen. And then in between each room, each hallway is strapped and antique mirrored so that you're never sort of feeling, I'm going from, you know, a mantle can of a floral room and then it's opening onto a bedroom that's blue and green tapestry wallpaper. So these sort of mirrored hallways give breathing space to each room. And then that tented room, even though it's quite strong, that tented room has almost every color of the house in it, but it's in a stripe. So it's not in a print. And then I've used stencil floors and limestone everywhere to, to again, it's, it's important that you even though it's used in a different way, that there's continuity and connection. It keeps smaller spaces 
every room has a, every all the bathrooms are limestone but used in a different pattern the same way that i'll often do in houses all the floors are sort of a dark brown but they have a different stencil in them using different patterns but the but the base of things have continuity and that's what i think gives spaces flow and connects them your kitchen is also killer side note <laughs> <laughs> you are spot on though it is nice to have those areas sort of to rest to kind of between spaces and like our living room has hand painted chinese wallpaper but our oh. dining room our dining room and our library our library has velvet walls and our dining room has wool felt walls with nail heads so there's a lot of pattern but the walls are only patterned in the living room and then there's the stripe in the hall and you don't get to patterned walls until you get to the bedroom and his dressing room you know so there's always a little bit of space between patterns so you're not exhausted if you know what i mean you know it can't you need to have air i always say there needs to be a place where you breathe in between spaces and i tell clients you know they'll say oh i love this and i love this and i want that and let's have that and i said you know everybody can't be screaming look at me otherwise it's just it's too much you know there needs to be a breather and you need to you can you can incorporate many things you love but there needs to be space in between them and also it depends on the size of the house you know obviously bigger houses can be stronger whereas smaller spaces can be strong but they need to use pattern and color in a way that works where it's not overwhelming what are you said you love soft goods is that your favorite thing to select in a space it's, it's not that it's my favorite i mean because there's nothing i love more than the antiques and truthfully you know i love the dishes and the napkins and i love the objects i love to finish a project i mean i love the accessories i think accessories are what really finish a house you know they sort of take the difference between making a home look finished and unfinished you know beautiful candlesticks and objects and you know wonderful books and sculptures and those are the things that really make a house personal and finished um i love the soft goods because i feel like they give the rooms coziness i feel like curtains and upholstery and custom made carpets and wall upholstery those are the things that just, you know, they take the sound out of the room. They soften the room. They're the things you sit on. It's the fabrics that you touch, that you feel, that sort of gives you that sensuous comfort in a room. And so I love that. I mean, it's every part of it's important, you know. The, the moldings are important. The architecture is super important. It, it all, every piece of the puzzle makes it complete, and that's, you know, so there's not a favorite of mine. I really love it all, but I, I truly love decorating. You know, I love the process of decorating and making these interiors that are personal and unique to the individuals. What are some, um, you know, accessories that you love to incorporate that uh, you use project after project? Well, you know, I buy antiques and vintage things. So I may never find that exact same thing again. And I, mm -hmm. you know, honestly, Carolyn, I kind of love that because I love that your house isn't going to look like anybody else's. Now, are there go-to things that I shop for? So, you know, years ago, so, you know, I love the history of decorating and um, I love to 
look at great old interiors and great decorators. And um, I also love nature and I love animals. I've always loved animals since I was a child. I've just always, I've always had dogs. I always had tons of stuffed animals. I used to play with animals. Um, I've always had pets. And I love sort of the concept of animals in interiors. And years and years ago, I saw this beautiful room that was Christian Dior's, the fashion designers. And on his desk, he had these beautiful, beautiful steel animals. And I was out and about shopping at H.M. Luther, which used to be a great antique dealer. And he would have a lot of these animals. And he had these Persian animals. And they're steel with gold and silver inlaid into their backs. They're Persian. And they're incredible. And they, they're not so easy to find. But I have a Persian dealer who gets them for me. So it's one of the signature things that I'll often put on projects. And you'll see them in my book. Sometimes they're all silver. Sometimes they're bronze. I have them in the office. I keep two of them for good luck in the office. I have them at home. So, but every time they're different, you know, they're made, they're not made out of a mold. They're handmade every time. So they're always a little bit unique. And I like that. I like that, you know, I love a big pair of hurricanes on a mantle, you know, but it's not the same hurricane that I always buy. It's a different pair. So, yes, there are go-to items that I have. You know, I love ceramic, and I love Chinese porcelain, um, and I love a beautiful pair of ceramic birds. But, you know, then I have clients who don't like birds. So <laughs> we don't have birds in their house. We find different things, you know, different types of creatures or vases or, you know, so it, it, it's, it's always a little bit different, but I like that. I like the fact that often I'll create a collection. Yes, silver is a great thing to buy now. You know, mm-hmm. it's, people aren't interested in silver so much, and it has incredible value. And you buy beautiful silver objects. I mean, tankards, flower vases, you know, tons of different things at auction, and they're great prices, silverware, beautiful silver for the table. And, you know, people don't want to polish silver anymore, and they don't like that idea. But so you get wonderful value on that. And, you know, what's more beautiful than a beautiful silver cup filled with flowers? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just so pretty. Um, I do love, like, that unique color of sterling. Like, it's has that you know, um, coolness or, and like, but warmth that like, a yeah, it has a glisten I don't to know. It, it yeah, brings light. It's, it's reflective. It's like a different color so silver. It's so pretty. It's so reflective. It's, it's, and, 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 you know, there, there's, look, there, there's so many things that I like, you know, I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I never have a hard time finding something to collect for clients or encouraging them, but it's also nice that they collect things that feel relevant to who they are too, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh, I was going to ask if he had a favorite home within this book, because there are so many beautiful homes that, but they're all so different that I didn't know if there was a labor of love or just a. <laughs> you know, look, you know, there's no such thing as favorites. It's like saying what's your favorite child. Oh. You know, you know, they're all. You know, every time 
you know, you create these interiors, it's like mm-hmm. almost giving birth. I mean, really, truthfully, I mean, I, obviously That's... I've never done that, but I imagine I, I've certainly watched my friends and my sisters and seen the process of <laughs> <laughs> It's a lot of work and it's intense. And that's what sort of decorating is. You know, you, you, you build these houses often from the ground up. You uh-huh. create these interiors. You renovate these apartments. You've got, you travel around the world. You're collecting the furniture. You're collecting the things. You, you go to the D&D hundreds of times, the fabrics, the trims. <laughs> Every sofa has so many different things on it. Every sofa, a sofa can have four or five different fabrics on it by the time it's done or <laughs> The trims, the fronts of the pillows, the backs of the pillows. And so everything's such a process. And then you see it all come together. Now, you know, I guess it's not that I have a favorite, but the project that stands out to me most is sort of my Kip's Bay room that I did. And and only really for the reason that it's very special to me because it's gone. So that's what makes it kind of, I can't see it again. Of course, I yeah. see it in my head totally, and that's why I'm so happy it's in the book. And it was a very special room. And, you know, when I do a Kip's Bay show house, I'm like a crazy person. I basically move to the room for the six weeks and live in that room. I mean, I come and go because I have to work and do other things, but I spend a ton of time in the room and mm-hmm. I answer a lot of questions and I'm always there for the people when they come to see the show house. So it's an enormous commitment to me. But again, it's only there for six weeks. So I feel like I want to live it because that's like the most intense thing you do because you create this interior out of nothing and then it goes away. And, you know, you have to really, you know, the, the bar is very high. You have to do something fabulous that wows people, Mm -hmm. but it comes and goes. So that room was special because again, you know, I, I took, Back to my sense of history, I fell in love with this wonderful wallpaper that Elsa DeWolf had done for Condé Nast's ballroom at the Waldorf Towers. And I loved the pattern. And um, I had done a talk on it with Gracie, and I had, you know, thought, well, here I'm doing Kip's Bay. This would be the time to bring that paper to life again. That was an antique paper, but we recreated it and made it fresh. And I blew up the scale because, again, I felt like that's what makes it feel modern. You know, sometimes I find Chinese wallpapers can be a little sweet and a little just not gutsy enough because our, our, our eye has changed in the last hundred years. You know, we, we, we've grown and we're different mm-hmm. and the world's more modern. So I took that antique paper, blew up the scale, and I... You know, was lucky enough to get this incredible room with this huge proportion. And I, I, I created an imaginary client in my head, which was uh, Mona von Bismarck, who was an incredible style icon of the 20th century. She was an American woman. And, and you know, I always say this, you know, we must always remember that it's American women who are the most stylish women of the 20th century. And... And why is that? I think because American women have incredible discipline. I think they're incredible learners. I think they they have a thirst for knowledge and bettering themselves and sort of learning from others that really sets them at a bar above others because they, they learn style not just from where they come from and not just from what it is naturally, 
but they look to the world and, and learn about real taste and style, and they're some of the chicest women ever. So Mona von Bismarck was an American who, who lived in Europe. She had this incredible apartment in Paris, and she was my imaginary client in my head. And I found an incredible pair of consoles that were hers that I used in the room, and then I mixed it with Lalonde furniture, and then Eve Kaplan, who's an 18th century furniture restorer, she used to be, but now she makes furniture for Jerry Bland, who I adore. She made the dining room table that I mixed with 18th century chairs, and I did one of my big painted floors, and I created curtains that felt like a Balenciaga ball gown, but Mona von Bismarck wore Balenciaga. So it was all sort of inspired by history of this client, and it just came together. And, you know, I... As remember I said before, I, I'm not a white interiors person, but my biggest clients at the time that both projects are in the book, it's the gray and silver and white apartment and the, my sister's gold and silver and white beach house. That was what I was working on at the time. And I said, you know what? I'm going to be more commercial than I normally am. And I'm going to sort of go with what my clients are asking me for because that must be what's relevant in the world. So I'm going to go with gold and silver and white. And, you know, people just, the response was incredible. And out of everything I've ever done, you know, it was the cover of Veranda. First time in history a show house room has ever been on the cover of a major magazine. And it was just, it was just this, this kind of crazy storm of, of the people just love this room. So that's, why it's not my favorite i love it they're all my favorites but it's special i mean i'm sorry that's a long answer to, <laughs> to a simple question a good answer though no that was a great answer i'd love to talk about that um the apartment you just referenced that was um some longtime friends of yours and you did their apartment but then they asked you to redo it in a and I was very more modern, I was very upset. I've said, no, why? well, it started because, so he's a doctor and he said, you know, Alex, the apartment's so beautiful. I need to do something to the office. I just, I, you know, I don't want to, I want my office to be pretty too. I'm there all the time. I want a nice office. I said, okay, no problem. We'll redo your office. So then we redid his office. He said, okay, I love my office, but now I'm ready to modernize the apartment. Said, What's wrong with the apartment? said, it looks great. He said, you know, and then his wife, who is my dearest friend in the world, and, you know, she's the person who told me I should be a decorator 37 years ago. It was she who came to me and said, Alex, you have great taste. You should be a decorator. I was lost. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I was in my family business. I, I, I just, and she said, Alex, you should be a decorator. And it was like, an epiphany, a lightning bolt hit me, and I ran off to Parsons and went to school and became a decorator. Never thought of it on my own. But um, so they said they wanted to redo this apartment. I said, what's wrong with the apartment? The fabrics are perfect. Nothing's dirty. It looks beautiful. They said, you know, we just want to live differently. You know, we don't want antiques. He's an incredible, both of them have an incredible collection of contemporary art. And we just, we want something else. You know, after enough humming and hawing, I said, okay, let's do it. If it makes you happy, of course, it's your house, not mine. And and we sort of re-envisioned the whole thing. And, and I love it. You know, it's beautiful. But, you know, we kept 
you know, the original beautiful floors because it's a Cantella building. And we just, we took those brown floors and we stained them gray. We took the beautiful Oak Library and we stained it gray. We, we kept a lot of the crown moldings and things, but we sort of cleaned it up. It was a little gooier and it was kind of very 80s. And we, we pared it down and we just, we, we redid the bathrooms and modernized them. We redid the floor in the kitchen and refreshed it. Um, we painted everything pure white. We got rid of anything that felt cream or beige, because again, that sort of felt like another time. And I think that our eye has sort of understands white in different ways. I think cream colors start to have, have felt kind of dated to us. And we understand pure sort of starker whites. Drier paint finishes feel more modern to me. And, you know, we, we did a lot of that. But, you know, we really cleaned up the apartment. But again, we created a collection of 20th century furniture. You know, Gabriella Crespi, Maria Pergay, Lalanne, uh, Carl Springer, Giacometti, things that, you know, and then, you know, we had Eve Kaplan make us some wonderful things all kinds of sort of vintage and modern things that came together to replace the antiques, but still had relevance. And I think that, that's, that's the important, you know, if you're changing your look and you're doing it yourself or you have the help of somebody else, sort of make sure that you don't downgrade, make sure that you keep things all sort of the same level, but you just tweak it and make it new and fresh. You just mentioned like drier paint finishes, and there was also somewhere in the book where you um, were mentioning like dry and wet. And I was wondering if you could explain that concept to our listeners, because I think they'll well, see, I helpful. like a variety of surfaces. You know, I, I, I love a lacquer room, and then like I love a velvet room, because a velvet room, even though it has depth, it's very dry. You know, a cotton velvet is very dry, it's not shiny. I like the mix of sort of wools and satins. I like, that's what I mean by dry and wet. I like that, I, I think it's sort of, it can be garish if everything's shiny. You know, I like chalky paint and gilding. I like the concepts of the mix of finishes. I think it, it creates interiors that sort of feel lived in and not so new and now I tend to be a lot of people like things on the distress side I tend to be a little bit more on the pristine side but but in that area I like a mix of sort of dry finishes and shiny finishes not too much shine because I think that can make it a little you know like plaster I, I love the feeling of plaster but it looks beautiful with something that's lacquered or mirrored or gilded. And that's what I mean sort of by the mix of the two. Like look right behind me. You see, you see this wonderful sort of gilded bracket behind me, the figural thing. It's 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 a mix of gilding and chalky. And then the lamp has like a shimmer to the ceramic. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's like mm -hmm. a variety of surfaces gives mm -hmm. texture and another kind of layering to a room that I think is interesting. So it's it's not only in the fabrics, it's in the porcelain, the ceramic, the lacquer, the, the gilding. It's just all of those 
yeah, things come together. I, I think that's and a great, a very like simple way to think about it, or or not simple, but like digestible way to think about it. It's easy to sort of envision what you're talking totally. Well, because you have to also, you know, not everybody does this every day of their life like I do, and not everybody. And you know, there are things that I do that I don't even realize why I'm doing them, and then I'll see <laughs> a picture that I looked at in a book that I haven't looked at in five years. And I'm like, oh, well, that's where you got that idea. But I don't even know where it comes from because it just sort of all jumbles together and becomes part of the mix of what's going through my head. You're you're a master, so. Yeah, and you're taking it all in by I don't know about that, Angel. I don't know if I'm a, I don't know if I'm a master. I just, you know, I just am always trying to be open-minded and to mm-hmm. learn and to understand and to be out there and to be seeing more and to be getting. And I learn from my clients too a lot. You know that that apartment we're talking about. You know, I've learned mm-hmm. so much about art through them and things that I never knew. And and I love that. I love that that I can learn from dealers, mm-hmm. from from artists, from clients. But I love to go to an antique store and say, oh my God, what is that? You know, what is that? And they'll explain to me what it is and, and what it was for. And I never realized, and I'm still, I'm learning every day. So I was looking at an auction catalog and I'm looking at this, this wood slatted sort of box from the 18th century. And it's, I mean, daylight in the swamps, it's called a panettiere, but I never really put pan and bread. To, it was a bread basket, an 18th century <laughs> bread basket. And I've always wondered what were these for? I never really, maybe I didn't pay attention. I'd never bought one before. I'd never, and I thought, I've never really understood what they are, but I just, I'm too busy and I glazed over them. And they were these bread baskets that they would put, not bread baskets, but bread holders made out of wood that kind of look like cages for animals that they would keep the bread in and they would keep it elevated. So it's like, you know, I've never noticed that. But I'm (laughs) always learning and trying to refocus my attention to learn new things. So never be ashamed of not understanding or not. I'm never embarrassed when I don't know. I'd love to ask questions. And if I don't know something, it's great. It's totally fine. But the thing that I think is so important and to all your viewers is go to the best dealers, go to the best stores, go to museum exhibits, look at the best quality things when you start collecting, because then when you're out and about and you're in a junk store, or a little flea market, you might be able to spot something that you wouldn't have known about if you hadn't seen it. And so it's very important. Exposure is so important. Mm -hmm. My whole career, since I've never worked for anybody, and I'm a self-trained decorator, was exposure in life. And that's how I learned what I learned was by being exposed. My mother Mm -hmm. took me all over the world and showed me everything and was constantly opening my eyes and exposing me and say, look at that and learn about that. And, and, you know, look at how incredible that piece of porcelain is and that incredible piece of furniture and that beautiful ballet. And look at the colors of what they're wearing. Look at their costume in that opera. and Look at, you know, the sets in Aida and how, you know, all these things that I was exposed to were what shaped my eye and created my sensibility. 
It was training. Well, okay, the last thing that we have to tell people, we don't have to talk on it too long because we do have a question to get to, but um, the other moment that I totally gasped looking through this book was the incredible apartment in Athens. And you get to those pages of the rooftop and literally was like, oh, oh my God, that view is... Insane. Absolutely well, bonkers. Well, that's why they that's why they bought the apartment. So the it's 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 on the it's on the it's the first building right below the monastery on the top of um, Kolonaki Square. And the thing that 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 makes it so special is this incredible view because it's not a special building. It's probably built in the seventies, and we really had to tweak it and make it special. The views were what were so incredible. And to to look at the Acropolis through those windows is just sublime. And again, you know, the interiors are very decorated, but they're all, you know, there's very little curtains in the apartment because it's it's all about the light and the views. And um, again, I was inspired by the Villa Kirlos, which if if your viewers don't know about you should google it it's an incredible house built in the south of france in the sort of greek style um it was built in the 1920s by a merchant and it's just unbelievable greek frescoes and tile work and furniture that were made all for the house and i was inspired by these incredible bronze screens that they had in the house and i used those as curtains these wonderful bronze doors and they still let the light through. Now, I didn't put them on the front of the apartment because of the Acropolis view, but on the sides, they're there, and they're just beautiful, and they create this beautiful design. But again, you know, that's a perfect example of where I couldn't have curtains, and I'm such a curtain person, and I feel like curtains are so important, but I used a lot of soft goods and beautiful upholstery and beautiful fabrics and upholstered walls and wood and strapping and stenciling and painting to sort of create warmth in the interiors without using curtains. Our listeners have got to pick up your book, if nothing else, than to see yeah. this incredible place because <laughs> Thank you. it was really, really well, you know, and, and you know, we, we had not a lot of time and we came in on budget and I think, you know, it was... It, it had to be done by a certain date, and we did it. And I loved working with the Greek contractors and 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 craftsmen. They were amazing. I mean, really top-notch, and they got everything done. And the quality of things was just impeccable. I was really, I was, I was just flabbergasted and and so pleased with 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 the craftsmanship in Greece and the. I would imagine that that's take. hard, hard to to you know you're used to a level of craftsmanship mm -hmm. in new york and you have vendors that you probably Sweetheart, go to I, time I, and I again and even, they surpassed anything i've ever seen wow i mean and 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 i i think it, it had a lot to do with the architect and contractor they were just top 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 notch and i maybe i don't know i mean i i, I was like do you want to come work in new york i mean like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. But, you know, maybe also the challenges are different working in Athens and, and, mm -hmm. and, and it, I mean, you know, maybe it's a smaller audience and I, I don't know, but it, it, it was so successful. And I was, I mean, I was so impressed at what they did and how quickly it was done and how beautifully it was done. So mm -hmm. it yeah. was, a, it was a joy to do.
Oh my I can't gosh, wait to do another yes. project in Athens with the same <laughs> contractor and architect. They were so good. <laughs> you were trying to find friends of friends. You're like, do you have any friends here? <laughs> I'm so happy to come back. <laughs> well, you know, also as a child, I lived in Greece for two years. We went for the summer and we stayed for two years. Uh, and we lived four blocks away from where this apartment was. So it was really, really oh. this crazy kind of very special, sentimental kismet thing that happened. And so I love doing it. Wow, it's beautiful. Yeah, that's a great a great uh, note to end on or transition on because we are gonna answer a question from one of our listeners. Her name's Julia. Okay, so Julia says, hello, Ballard Podcast team. I'm excited to report that my husband and I recently purchased our first home, and I finally have a design dilemma to send in. We live in Dallas, Texas. The home is in 1927 Arts and Crafts um, with some colonial inspiration. I thought this would be brief, but I guess I need more help than I thought. The, the dilemma is in the kitchen. The previous owner opened the wall between the dining room and the kitchen, but they did not match they did not match the crown molding. It simply stops where the old wall began. So half the room has eight inch crown molding and it abruptly ends in the middle of the wall and the rest of the room has no molding at all. I think they made this unfortunate decision because there's not enough space above the cabinets for eight inches of crown molding. So how did I, how do I continue the crown molding throughout the room? If it stops next to the cabinet, how do I make it look intentional? Thank you for any insights or suggestions in advance. The inspiration, wisdom, and easy listening you've provided have been invaluable. Well, thank you, Julia. And Alex, our talented um, guest today, is going to answer your question. So, Alex, what do you think? So what I would probably do, so I would probably, it's kind of hard to see here. You don't have the picture right on the screen. But what it is, I would probably actually strap the ceiling of the kitchen. So I would take sort of a flat stock of molding and get it to work in the kitchen going across here, just in the part of the kitchen where they took the wall down. And I would create some kind of strapping on the ceiling. And then I would drop the ceiling about this much, enough to get the crown molding to come back and return and bring the crown molding back into the room. So sort of drop the ceiling in the kitchen this much to like accept to the face of the crown molding coming back into the room and then sort of creating some kind of molding on the ceiling. So the room is opened, but the mm -hmm. feeling of the ceiling in the kitchen feels paneled and then accepts the face of the crown molding coming back so that it doesn't stop. Does that make any sense? I think so. It's almost like you're creating a beam in the middle of the well, room. Beam is or, a big word because okay. it's just to receive the crown molding in front. Okay. Okay. So it allows the break between the dining area and the kitchen itself. Right. But the ceiling drops a little bit in the kitchen okay. area and then turns into a paneled ceiling. But it mm -hmm. doesn't need to be fully paneled. It can be plaster with strapping mm -hmm. of wood on it to make mm -hmm. that crown molding work in the kitchen, but in a mm -hmm. smaller scale. It's the, it's the mm -hmm. only way I can see sort of, mm -hmm. and I also, I don't love the way the room bleeds into itself. So I, it feels like you've taken down a wall, which mm -hmm. I think if you created a panel ceiling, it would 
complete the kitchen as a unit. And even though it was opened onto the other room because of the cabinetry, and you could even continue the strapping on the wall of the kitchen. I would also probably define the kitchen in a different color, like keep the whole kitchen, the ceiling and the strapping white, and then leave the other room a separate color. So that it's sort of, so I'll do this often, whereas like in a room where it juts out or changes in proportion and scale, even though it's part of the same room, I will define the room by using a different pattern on the floor. If I'm stenciling two floors, I'll use a different scale stencil in the part where the room gets smaller and a bigger scale in the part where the room gets bigger, even though the rooms open onto each other. It's a way of defining the room. So architecture can help to define rooms and separate them, even though they're one big room. You you use the architecture and the color in slightly different ways. Mm -hmm. And that's what I would do there. I mean, that's just looking at it from a picture off the top of my head, but that would be my instinct. And I would probably paint the entire kitchen white with the strapping and the ceiling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is a tricky one, just because it is such an odd And I thought, like, is there a vent? Is that a vent over the refrigerator on this, like... In between the molding, I can't tell what that is. Uh, so, it, yeah, it does. Look yeah, it looks like, like a vent in front of it. Yeah, so that that yeah. would be tricky then to to drop the ceiling. So you know, it's 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 a more complicated question than that. It's 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 a little tricky. Mm -hmm. I mean, the other thing you could do is you could you could put a plaster. Oh, like a, yeah, like almost like a, yeah. Mm -hmm. You could have pulled out, and I don't know, does that happen on this side of the room too? It's hard to tell from the picture. Mm -hmm. So you could create a pair of pilasters, and then again, you could have that plaster holding up something, a piece of wood that then the molding continues in front of. And that's another way of sort of defining. I never like the idea of the crown molding dying like that. So I totally agree with her. That would not make me happy. It looks strange. I prefer yeah. that the crown molding continue. Or the other question is, you know, do you just take the crown molding out of the room and remove it and yeah. come up with a crown molding that sits on the ceiling more, which we've done that often. Like in my office, I don't know if you can see, but if I raise, you see, my ceilings are very low. So my crown molding is actually the projection it's very small on the wall because mm -hmm. there was very little space over the window and it's thicker on the ceiling, but mm -hmm. it's flat stock. So what yeah. that creates is it creates the effect of a proportion of molding that you're looking for, but it's not actually on the wall because there mm -hmm. was not a lot of space. We had to do that. So there, are, look, there's always ways to trick the eye and always ways to, to make things work. But mm -hmm. I find that's also a very good thing to do, to actually put a thicker piece on the ceiling and a smaller piece on the wall. And when you look at it, it actually reads proportionally as bigger, even though it's not actually taking from the wall. I think that's smart. Yeah, that I is mean, those are my two off-the-top-of-my-head ideas. You know, we're always problem-solving. That's what we do all yeah. day. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Is there... 
I always say, you know, if you have, you know, I've had everything under the sun at this point, you know, I've had these big columns in the side of a room and, you know, I'll be like, okay, well, we can't hide that. So we're going to flute it and make it look deliberate and make it look like we wanted it there. I always say, if you have something ugly, just try and make it look pretty. Don't try and hide it because it'll always read that you're trying to hide something. So make it beautiful. You know, try and make it look good. In the in the in the project in Athens that we were speaking of before, if you look at that view of the Acropolis and that outdoor terrace, mm-hmm. that beam that goes in front of it, that was there. It was a steel beam that was exposed. And oh. I looked, and it looked awful. And I said, Well, can't we get rid of that? They're like, No, Alex, it supports the building. <laughs> I'm like, well, we can't have it looking like that. It looks horrible. You know, you can't look at the view. You look at this big, hideous steel beam. So I was sitting on the airplane. I thought to myself, how are we going to make this better? And I thought, you know, we're going to take a beautiful frieze and wrap it around the entire terrace and put it over that. So it creates like a window and it looks deliberate. And it looks like we wanted that there to frame the view. So, oh, absolutely. You see that? So oh, that, I, yeah. That, I didn't I, question it before, and now no, I totally... I was stuck with that. I had to use... That was a steel girder going across. You crushed it. It looks and fantastic. Said, well, but, <laughs> you know, it was the... I, I had no choice. I had to make it work. <laughs> but that's like what happened. So don't take a situation and say, I'm going to try and hide this. No, it's never, you can't hide something. So <laughs> yeah, just, that looks great. Well, it was, it was, it was, and I was very, very, I mean, that, I was sick over that. When I saw that, I was so upset. When I saw that steel beam, I was like, you know, this looks horrible. So, yeah. you know, you, you have to always, uh-huh. you, gotta, you gotta take every challenge, you gotta address it, you gotta take a deep breath, and you've gotta think it through. Do you ever think that like some the next person that comes along in like twenty years is going to buy this building and they're like take out that weird thing and they're going to go at it with like a sledgehammer and be like oh this is not you know you've camouflaged it so well that they're going right. to not well, realize you how know, important it is by then I'll probably be dead so there's yeah. nothing I can do about it but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know look I always try to look at things from a historical perspective and understand things and sort of look at, you know, why did they do that? And why is that there? But, you know, always it's about structure. It's so often about, you know, that, that, that things need to be made a certain way in order to support these buildings and these houses, but there's always a solution to make everything looking good. You know, it could always be improved upon. I mean, I've had houses where, you know, the architects are like, you know, there's nothing we can do to make this look better. And I say, you know, look, this is the client's house. They love it. The husband, you know, built this house. And okay, the stairs look like they were something out of the Brady Bunch, but we'll make them look chic. And we will make that into a beautiful Georgian staircase. And we'll do a beautiful wrought iron railing. And no one will ever know that it looked like the staircase from the Brady Bunch. And, you know, <laughs> so, so where there's a will, there's a way. And, you know, people take, you know, when somebody builds a house, even though they don't, you know, they feel attached to it. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and sometimes you have to renovate houses 
and make them look beautiful. I think he wants to go out, Coke. Yeah. He, he hears something in the hall. He fancies himself a watchdog. Um, <laughs> so, you know, you, you got to work with your clients and you got to make things more beautiful for them. That's it. what we do. We're problem Solve solvers. Problems. Yeah. That's, um, always. We're always solving problems. Part of the well, job. Thank you, Alex. I'm sure Julia will. Um... <laughs> really appreciate your advice. Okay, my dear. Well, thank can you, you. Can you tell everyone before we go? Can you tell everyone sure. where they can find you, buy your book, follow you, all those good things? So I'm on Instagram. It's Alex's Viewpoint, and I love Instagram. And um, my Instagram is, you know, it's sort of my houses, my life, um, what inspires me, history, style icons, entertaining, beautiful table settings. Um, um, I. I've been in business for 37 years, decorating away. I'm a New York-based decorator. As you said, I do projects all over the world. My book, uh, my first book with Rizzoli was called The Age of Elegance, and it's out of print now. And my second book is uh, The Elegant Life with Rizzoli, and it came out last October, and it shows sort of the evolution of my career and where I am and and that, you know, I sort of have also, you know, the thing that, that makes me proud of this book. It shows that I am able to do modern interiors with the same sort of sense of grandeur of traditional interiors. And I think that there are also a lot of uh, very more approachable projects in this book. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of houses for young families. And, um, you know, I also have a tabletop business now called Everyday Elegance that is on Instagram. And it's an online business where I um, make... It started as a website to buy dishes and silverware. And then uh, uh, Mode Operandi asked me to do a collection for them. And I learned that I can create my own collection. And I felt like after that, I went and created my own collection for Everyday Elegant because I feel that people really want unique things that are made for them and things that are special. And so I do a lot of my own linens and napkins. And now I'm custom making and designing dishes and making things that you can't find everywhere else and that are unique and different. And we can custom make anything you want in any color we want, which is a lot of fun. And it's really fun for me because, you know, I'll be inspired by, you know, the new English wins at the Met and, 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 and I'll make a beautiful dish that's chinoiserie that I saw there or, or be inspired by, you know, a beautiful painting and the colors of it and the flowers and recreate them onto a dish. So that's really fun for me. And it's just another creative outlet. And as we said, you know, I hope that by having this tabletop business, it would help to satiate my appetite for shopping for dishes. <laughs> All I do is buy more it worse. dishes. It made it worse. And I'm like, oh, those are nice for somebody else. And I'll take 20 of those for myself. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, oh, my God. I mean. <laughs> but, but I do love beautiful things and I do practice what I preach and I live the way I sell my clients and I, I use and the most important thing I'm going to say, you know, it doesn't have to be expensive, but make everything pretty. You know, you can buy inexpensive pens, but every cup should have pretty pens in it and everything you take out of every drawer should be Every scissor should be pretty and every napkin should be nice. And even if it's white paper napkins, they should be pretty white paper napkins. And, you know, it, it, it's not about cost. And you can find a beautiful basket and put a wonderful fern in it. And it can cheer up your house and make it look pretty. 
and you can make boutique tablecloths into slip covers for your furniture and they look divinely chic. So it's, it's, it's not about money, it's about quality of life and caring to make everything pretty in your house. And it just, it soothes the soul and it makes you feel good because there's nothing that makes you happier than living in pretty rooms. It just, it makes you feel happy and, and pleased and it puts a smile on your face. So mm-hmm. enjoy it and have fun doing it. Make sure that the process is fun. Well, we'll have to have you back to talk about entertaining because we didn't even yes. skim the surface Mm-mm. on that. And I would love I to, love to entertain. There's Ooh. nothing more fun than that. That's my Maybe in the holiday too. season. We oh, my gosh. Yes. All right, I would love that. I would love that. <laughs> love it. I'm doing Christmas. Uh, Veranda did Christmas. Uh, at our house in the Hamptons. So this Christmas, you'll see our Hamptons house for Miranda for Christmas. And I had, so much, to it, yeah. I had so much fun setting the table for Christmas. And, uh, you know, I love the holidays. I love to decorate the house <laughs> for the holidays. And I, I love all that. I think it feels, it's so nice to go mm-hmm. somewhere and feel that people made an effort. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. and thought, thought it through. So I love that. Well, I thank you it. so much for joining us. Thank you. Us. We love to have so you. nice love, to meet you. Yeah, I love getting to see your book. Cooper's barking and for my long-winded stories, but thank you, ladies. And it was the wonderful. Book is available, I'm sure, on Amazon or in any local bookstore. The Elegant Life by Rizzoli, who I loved, and they're the best. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so thank much. You. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks so much. <laughs> And that's our show. You can find all of the show notes on our blog, howtodecorate.com slash podcast. To send in a decorating dilemma, email your questions to podcast at ballarddesigns.net so we can help you with your space. And of course, be sure to follow us on social media at Ballard Designs. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Until next time, happy Happy decorating. decorating!